If there's one thing I know that brings us all together when we're outside with our families and children, it's music. For years, I've had my ear out for songs that help describe the patterns and our observations we see in nature. And I was so excited to find our guest today who's created the most beautiful songs that are not just loved by children, but by adults as well. So today we'll be speaking with Sarah Ernst all about her music and children's books in nature. Before we start, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and Gubby Gubby people. And this episode, sharing the importance of music in nature, I'd like to honour the songs and song lines of the Indigenous and Torres Strait Islands. The sharing of our stories, our histories and what we see in our natural world has been a part of Indigenous culture for thousands of years, shared so beautifully through song and dance. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this episode today. Welcome back to the Raising Wildlings podcast today. It's me, Nikki Farrell, and my guest today is Sarah Ernst, award-winning children's author, illustrator, and kindy musician from the United States. Sarah uses her original songs to encourage a deeper love and curiosity of nature, inspire imagination, empower emotions, and teach valuable lessons. Sarah's work has been featured in the news and on podcasts, and her music has been heard by families all over the world. And in particular, it turns out that we as Australians are big fans. But before we chat to Sarah, I just quickly wanted to pop in and say, if you're curious about starting a nature play business or forest school, then you'll definitely want to check out our signature online course your wild business. It's a business kickstarter program like no other and specifically designed for teachers, forest school leaders, outdoor recce's and early year educators who are ready to leap into the big wild world of business. So if you want to take the guesswork out of starting from scratch and more importantly if you want to avoid the three most common mistakes that we see others make when they've started their nature play business then head to raisingwildlings.com.au forward slash wild business and check out our exclusive training to get you started on the right path toward your wild business journey. There we'll also share with you our proven seed sprout blossom framework that will help you create a nature play business deeply rooted in community values and purpose. So head on over to raisingwildlings.com.au forward slash wild business to check it out. But now let's hear from Sarah. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Good morning here in Australia. Welcome to the show, Sarah. How are you today? I am absolutely fantastic. How are you? Fantastic. We were just discussing how it's we're literally... Opposite sides of the world, day and night, winter and summer. But as you, as you were saying, <laughs> we all connect over nature. We Amazing. absolutely do. And I have to, I before I forget, I have to take this moment because when I first started children's music, my first album came out in 2019. And and I'm not exaggerating when I say that Australia showed up. And I have to publicly say on here and with you for every Australian listening to this right now, thank you. If you are one of them or will be, thank you. Because I remember being absolutely 
astounded that there was this huge following through Australia. And it was so humbling and such a blessing. And so speaking to you, I was like, I, I have to, I have to just thank any Australian listening to this right now, because truly I just, it was something that I didn't expect. And Australia has been there for me every single step of the way. And it's just been really, really lovely. So. Oh, how amazing is that? <laughs> And we were just saying again, the technology to be able to reach and connect over nature just means you get to find these similar-minded artists or similar-minded, whoever you're following, anywhere in the world. And it still still blows my mind. (laughs) It really is. We We live in an age that we have everything right at our fingertips and you and I can talk this way, whatever it is, but it's true. We live, we live in an age where we are just blessed by technology in so many ways. Yeah, and connection. And I know sometimes yes. there's that old argument of, you know, are we deeply connecting? And I do think we are still. I think oh, absolutely. as long as we're not getting more intolerant and we're still keeping our tolerance for differences, I think it's so amazing that we can outreach and connect so far away. I completely agree. (laughs) So I want to hear all about your journey, Sarah. So tell me, how have you come to master the written word and through through stories and song? Because it's such an ancient art form and it still resonates so deeply with people. And I'd love to hear how you've connected with it. Oh, it is an ancient art form. I, I love that you, I love that you said that because even though I know that that's true, it's something I often forget about. And uh, that's a really wonderful way of putting it. The way that I am mastering that, I'm not sure about that, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm certainly trying my best. But the way that I came into it was so incredibly unexpected and organic. And for anyone who has read about or listened to my journey into music or anything before, you've heard this, and I'll try not to repeat myself, but the the story is still the same. And that is that a number of years ago, I was um, hosting a group, a nature group for kids and their mamas. And in that nature group, it was mostly just extra little ones, about the three to five range, somewhere a little older, maybe three to seven. And we would go on hikes and we would go down to the creeks and rivers and different places and be, you know, in the woods doing nature together. And it was wonderful. And I was trying to find other ways to help these little ones learn, for example, the three venomous snakes in our state here and uh, what to do if we actually came across a bear in the woods and these kind of things. And I thought, how can I bring education to them in nature and help them learn these things and be cautious, but knowledgeable but also make it stick and make it fun. And at the time I had been teaching myself how to play the ukulele and um, no one outside of my own family or this group even knew I owned a ukulele, let alone was trying to do anything with it. And um, so I started trying to write songs and that's how it came about. And honestly, it started with a song called Hiss Hiss, which is specifically for, I'm in Virginia in the U.S. and it's specifically for Virginians just because it goes over our three venomous snakes. But it started with that and then there was the bear song and it kind of just snowballed into this wonderful snowball of children's music. And I realized that the kids loved it. The moms loved it. I fell in love with doing it 
But more importantly, the kids were actually learning from it. And that was the whole point, is that it was sticking on every level. And um, that was probably around 2017 and 18, 2018 that started. And then I put out my first album in 2019, but that was only because of the encouragement of the moms. They were the ones that said, you know, share this with others. And I was not, I, I was not going to do that. Uh, but I did. And here we are. <laughs> so that that's how that began with song. And book started uh, a couple of years earlier than that, just because that was something I always loved doing as a child, art and storytelling. So I guess I'm getting to play out my childhood dreams in many ways now as an adult. <laughs> so... <laughs> Play is so important and how amazing that you can still play as as an adult and and find that inspiration and just quietly well done for the mums for being the uh, not so subtle push for you. They were were very encouraged. It really was. I don't, if they had not enjoyed it and encouraged me in that way, I really don't know that I ever would have shared it outside Mm. of the group. And because all of the songs initially, I only wrote for those specific children in the group. And um, it was not something I ever was looking to do. I wasn't looking to write music. I wasn't looking (laughs) to record music, uh, performing, forget it, you know, (laughs) all of those things. It just was not who I I thought I was. (laughs) So, but yeah, that's amazing. It's been a very... That's been a very blessed journey. So, yeah. So, tell us more about your writing process. We know that nature is your muse, but can you tell us about your process that how you go from inspiration to a song or a book? Oh, yeah. Honestly, this is probably the most comical part of our <laughs> conversation because there is. There is no process. I wish so much that I could give direction right now. I wish that I could impart wisdom (laughs) upon people right now in this area. But I'm going to just go ahead and tell you now that there is no wisdom to this process of mine. It will just come to me out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere. I, I can be taking a bath. I can be driving in the car. I can be in the woods. I can be in the middle of sight. I can be not able to fall asleep and it be 1 a.m. in the morning. And these things just pop into my head. Mm. And sometimes they're almost already complete. Sometimes a tune's already there. And I just have to grab, if it's the middle of the night, I just grab my phone since it's the only thing that has a light and I can see. Um, And just quickly write it down or whatever I can do. But yes, I really wish there (laughs) was a more just wise process there that could help others. But no, it just comes, it just, just happens. (laughs) Amazing. And that reminds me of, um, have you read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, uh, Big Magic? How she says, if you know, everybody gets ideas and ideas will just float past everybody, but you it's up to the person to grab them. If you don't grab them in the middle of the night at 1am with the phone and the light and yes. you just write it down, it will go and it will move on to the next person that wants the idea. Oh, it's so, so true. Yeah, I think oh, you know, there's that's so the much truth You're to that. <laughs> there's so much truth to that. And, you know, just to also, the uh, even though there wasn't a wise process there, I can encourage other um, just moms and caregivers right now that 
Honestly, please, whatever it is, I mean, think about what it is that lights your fire. And whatever it is that lights your fire, I mean, you have to really think about, now this is outside of people. Yes, your children you love, a spouse, whatever. But I'm talking about what is it in you that when you do it, it actually lights a fire within you. And when you recognize what that is, that is when you've recognized that there is a small passion of some kind, or at least an interest that can lead to passion. And I've talked to a lot of moms before who say, oh, I've Oh, you know, I have a story in my head or I've written a story, but I don't know if I'll ever do anything with it or I'd like to write music or like to learn an instrument or whatever it might be. And my encouragement would be that it sounds cliche, but there really is no perfect time for anything because you will always be busy with something. There isn't a time in your life that you won't be busy. And um it's it's what you were saying. It, it falls in line with what you were saying about when those ideas are going, you know, grab them. You do have to grab them or they're just going to mm-hmm. pass you by. And I think it's the very same thing with opportunity. First, you grab the idea and then you just make the opportunity happen because mm-hmm. it won't otherwise. And um, if you have a dream of doing something, then I encourage you, please do it. Do it for yourself too, and not for other people. When you do something for yourself, I think your your heart shines through in what you're doing, your your love and your passion for that. When you do something only for other people, um, not only can it become more disingenuous, but it's just it's not as natural. And so, when you're doing what you love, I just think that shines a lot more brightly. And um, I think every mom, especially, should give in to an idea, at least one, you know, an opportunity, whether it's a book or a song or whatever that might be. Just try because you might you might be missing out on something that's that becomes a passion for you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you could see my head nodding, nodding vigorously that whole. <laughs> yes. Oh. Go and do it. Go and grab it. Go. Yes. This is how we ended up here, exactly the same thing, sitting in those moments of motherhood and getting those creative ideas and that inspiration and that little, ooh, that little heart glimmer of, ooh, that could be really fun. Ooh, that could be something I really enjoy. And then taking the opportunities as they came. It would have been really easy for us to go back to our regular jobs and just keep keep on, keeping on. But I'm so glad we listened ourselves and yes. listen to our hearts and listen to the, and grab those ideas as they swung by and didn't let them move on to somebody else. Yeah, that's the important part. And I think, you know, we should also point out that especially for moms, sometimes, sometimes there tends to be a level of guilt almost in thinking outside of doing anything from your children. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be outside of your children or your family for you to um, entertain an idea or a passion or even try it out. Sometimes it's very easy to incorporate your family or your children. Uh, Maybe baking is your passion and they can, you know, play your taste testers, whatever it is, there's always a way to incorporate it. And you do also have to remember that you are still an individual. Yes, you are a mother. Yes, you may be a wife or a partner, whatever you might be, but you are still an individual. 
And before those things occurred, you were an individual and it's okay to have individual ideas (laughs) and you can, it's okay to have those ideas and family ideas simultaneously. Mm. And I think that there aren't enough mothers giving themselves maybe um, space and grace in that area because it doesn't mean you have to completely derail from your family life to to see where that path might lead you. Yeah, I'd like, I 100% agree that women, sorry, genderizing, but generally mothers. Right, right. Yeah, well, accidentally and not on purpose but martyr themselves for the family but at their own suffering and their health their health very often suffers their physical and mental health yet alone their creative health you know so such an important message to remind everybody that we are as important and happy mom happy family absolutely (laughs) we we are creative beings as well and we can have outlets and that's that's okay i think it's i think it's the grace that we have to give ourselves Mm. it's like it's okay to try something out too so yeah and it's okay if you don't pursue that as well it's okay to try something for a six-week course to see if there is something that really lights you up and then let it go it's if you want to Mm -hmm. I i think sometimes we call that failure as well when it's None of them is failure. It's all adding to our toolboxes and adding to define who we are and know who we are deeply as, as people and what we love and what we don't love. So don't try something. I completely agree with that. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> so how do you think your creativity was fostered as a child that has allowed you to explore this as a, as a career? And I know, like you said, you've kind of fallen into this, but do you, can you make any links or correlations to childhood and how that has affected you, your songwriting and, and story writing? Every single bit of my childhood, I think, is linked into what I do. And I mean mm. that genuinely because now I naturally tend to be one of those people that has kind of the whole Peter Pan syndrome where I don't really feel like I completely ever grew up. And <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with that because quite honestly, I don't want to. I can absolutely adult and I do. But there's, I I love play and I love um, nature. And there are things that I love too much to sit back and never be a part of again. And when I was a child, my most of my childhood was spent outside, quite honestly. Uh, My brother and I were constantly up trees and in creeks and Um, building lean-tos and exploring and and all of these things. And it is, it feels like those things are as much a part of my DNA as anything is. And also art. Art was absolutely my outlet as a kid. Uh, For as long as I can remember, uh, my earliest memories involve art. And it's something that, you know, as I said, put out that question, you know, what is it that lights your fire? And mm-hmm. when I first asked myself that question, I mean, the answer was immediate. And the answer for me is that any time I can create, just creating something out of nothing in general absolutely lights my, you know, roaring fire. And it did even as a kid. I didn't want things that were already boxed and you just sort of put together. I loved creating something out of whatever I had that was just around. 
And I loved to use just my scissors, tape, glue, mark, whatever it was. And and I love to write stories. And I still have stories when I was a kid that I made a little cover for and little illustrations. And it's just a huge part of me. And there, I've told this story before. So if anyone has has heard this story and is hearing it again, I'm sorry, but it is a big part of it. So the very first book I ever wrote called Dragons Really Do Love Tea, that was in 2017. And it was a story that one came to me, no kidding, at 1 a.m. in the morning. I really mm-hmm. could not sleep. And all of a sudden, <laughs> just, I mean, line after line after line of this wow. rhyming story. So I wrote it down. I revisited it the next day and decided, you know, I'd always wanted to try to just put a book together for myself. It really was a bucket list item. I had no intention of trying to sell it, uh, to market myself, to do any of these things. I just wanted to accomplish it and know that I had this book and I could say that I did it, you know. And so I decided to take that story and do that. But the dragon, I remember telling my mom uh, that I was probably going to maybe I'd outsource an illustrator, have someone else do it because I know my style of drawing and I'm just, I I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. (laughs) And I had envisioned the dragon in the story being something much more grand than I felt my pen and pencil could make. But I had drawn her a dragon uh, when I was young and she still had a picture of that dragon. She Mm. said, please use that dragon. I love that dragon. You know, that is the dragon. And I was like, Oh, I'm not that that dragon, Aww. you know. She's like, yes, and I realized, and I did end up doing it because I also realized, well, this is just for me. I'm gonna do it. This is almost my my this is my childhood almost coming out into a book. You know, it's truly the way that I drew as a child. Sometimes still draw now, and it ended up becoming this book that I could look at and say, yes, it's part childhood, part me now, and somewhere in between. And um, so special. Anyway, the the way that it became more is just you know again it's a very unexpected organic journey. Everything uh, that has happened, but that's that's the first one. So I say, childhood is is so very closely woven into everything that I have done, and every song, even even the ones that I've I do write them for children. I think of children, but I feel like because I can there's part of me that still thinks like a child Mm -hmm. in the sense of, you know, play and exploration. I mean, I really do get giddy when I see a new insect I've never seen or something. And while that might sound silly, look, nature lovers, you get it. Okay. You know that there are things that you see and you're like that, you know, or I see this great big luscious patch of moss, which I often call nature's carpet because I'm like, oh, it's nature's carpet. You know, there are things that just, they excite me. And so Those things are so close to my childhood. And so I write for children, but I think I almost write also for little me, you know, Mm -hmm. or almost from little me. And um, so there's a lot of when I tell people that my heart is really in the songs that I write, it really is. It's just it's a huge part of me that's that's in the songs that I write, whether it's from imagination or nature or or whatnot. So, yes, very tightly woven into everything that I've done so far. It's so amazing. I was um, reading a book the other day. I can't remember what it was, which was frustrating, but 
it was pretty much talking about <laughs> purpose and creativity and it was exactly mm. what you're saying. What were you doing when you were nine years old? You know, when you were independent enough, you're, you know, you're past that really young age, you've got enough skills. What what could you spend hours and hours doing? Go and try that again because mm. very likely that is what still lights you up and that is what will ignite that fire. Yes. And I think, oh, gosh, if we could just treat our inner child a little bit kinder, we would probably feel a lot better as adults as well. I think that is absolutely true. And I think that if a lot of grownups are able to to remember even mm. as a child, because our our passions can change, and that's absolutely. true. But like you said, usually if something lit your fire that much mm. as a child, there's still something. something. There's a there's a residue left somewhere, you know, mm. that's just waiting to be kind of scraped up and mm. reused and, and and looked at a little closer and like, yeah, you're still there. Yeah, you know, before the world came in, before, you know, the expectations and the hormones and the people-pleasing and all those things came in, like, what was it that lit you up? Oh, maybe that could be our, our one our one prompt today is to have a, just have a think about what, what it was that you loved at nine years old and maybe if you can find a little grace and time to explore, if that is still of interest to you. So, like I said, it may not. We may have grown ourselves. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe, but I do, I think that that where is where nature comes highly into play too, and a lot mm. of uh, grown ups have forgotten how they feel in nature yes. because as children, when you're in nature, most of the time anyway, most children in nature, you don't need any prompts. You do not need someone to say, okay kids, you know, we're, we're all outside now. So we're going to form lines and here's some options of games you can play. If you just put children outside, especially when there, where there are woods or trees or dirt, whatever, there, there is nothing needed. They Mm -hmm. will find their way and no one is going to question like, Hmm, what should I be doing out here? What can I do? It just happens. Mm -hmm. And I think that if a lot of grown-ups remembered how they felt in nature as a kid, a lot of their fondest memories tend to come from that. And I've heard that before from some adults where they say, oh, you know, it was a camping trip that was so special with my dad or whoever it was. Uh, or I remember when my grandparents took me on this hike. Or I remember mm-hmm. this one time where my mom and I just went on a picnic to the park. And it doesn't always have to do with nature, but I will say that I find probably 99% of the time that the best memories, if not higher than 99%, come from experiences. And mm. they often have to do with nature, whether it was just a walk or going out to look at the stars. And it's because you're so free when you're in nature. But when you grow up, if you're not able to connect with that, you you lose it. You lose sight of it. You don't lose mm. it. You just lose sight of it. And you forget how good you felt. And you forget how free you can feel. Mm. And you start thinking about how sweaty you are or, <laughs> you know, is a bug going to land on you? Or I don't like these as much now or whatever. And that's okay because all those things, you know, no judgment, my goodness. Um, but it's there's a freedom 
that's mm-hmm. been lost somewhere between childhood and adulthood for a lot of people. Um, and I think that if they could just reconnect with it. You know, I was I was cracking up laughing then because I went, have you seen that meme where it says, just going for a stupid walk for my stupid mental health? That was me this morning, <laughs> walking and sweating and going, oh, I just wish I could walk without sweating. And then... <laughs> I mean, it's true, honestly. I did not connect with nature today at all, but I came home and I felt better (laughs) for my stupid mental health. (laughs) It's so true. I mean, honestly, summer is my least favorite season season because of that. I mean, I don't enjoy, you know, sweating super hard outside. But, you know, again, you can look at, (laughs) that's funny. You can look at those things though and say, okay, this is why I'm not going to. I'm not going to even think about it because I don't like those things or I don't like Mm. bugs or I don't like this. But there are ways that you can connect with nature where you don't have to put yourself in the nitty gritty (laughs) of it all and suffer through something to find therapy in it. So, yes, that is a really good reminder. You know, forest bathing, (laughs) just sitting on a rock or finding a waterfall to sit by is the beach, just sitting at the beach. Oh, mm-hmm. that would have been as good for my mental health this morning. <laughs> <laughs> when there's cool water to dip in somewhere. That's right, which I did yesterday, <laughs> actually. Vicky and I went for, with them, her husband and our kids went for a walk around the beach with our packs on, went for a hike and went for a swim. And we both looked at each other and went, this is what we need to be doing. Yes. Yeah, we're in the, deep, we're in the thick of the heat right now, but. It's good. It's good. Seasons are good. Telling myself. Yes, seasons are good. You just adapt. But but that's what I'm saying. If you know you're going to be sweating a lot, maybe find a river or a creek that day or the ocean or what, you know, you, you find, you tweak it. You tweak what needs to happen in that season (laughs) or that day. Um, The connection is what you're looking for overall. Mm. And, you know, that's something that I, connection is key in everything, if you really break it down. And when we connect with something, we we understand it better or want to. We want to be closer to it. We want to know more about it. And then we begin to care about it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I have discovered through this journey of mine that music is such a powerful connector. And a lot of parents don't realize that now I can't speak for other musicians. I personally love to write music that teaches about nature and everything. But if you are teaching a child how to build a proper fire, you would teach them about the wood that they need to look for, how much of it to get, the size of it, how to place it. Um, how to light it. However, something so small and yet so crucial is necessary first. Mm-hmm. Tinder. And tinder is what the spark hits. Uh, a flame starts with tinder. And it could be as tiny as a pine needle, a clump of fur, a, a little piece of cloth. Um, but no matter what the tinder is, it's a connector because it's connecting the flame to the fuel. And, and 
I think that music is like Tinder. That's how I that's how I think of it. It connects the ear, heart, brain, ultimately causing you know, just a deeper desire to know more, to love something more, to be a part of it. And I love to write about nature. Uh, I love to write songs that will be tender, basically. Oh, I love that. And, um, you know, because I feel like in a song, a child can learn about something that they've never heard about before and then want to know more about it. In a song, a child might hear about something they already love. and it just simply resonates and strengthens their connection to it. Um, and then also in a single song, I feel like a child's vocabulary can be heightened. Memorization skills are challenged. Their knowledge is expanded. And one of the greatest things of all that can be acquired through it is empathy. Mm, yes. And empathy I think is the is the great big huge number two right after connection. Empathy is heart. It is soul. Um, a true love of nature requires empathy. Mm-hmm. I think that loving nature is so much more than just saying I love being outside because you can't say I truly love nature because I love climbing trees, but in the process, I also love crushing all of the bugs that live under the bark. Um, that is not <laughs> truly caring um, all the way for nature. You don't have to love uh, things crawling all over you to to, to gain empathy. Uh, to gain empathy, I feel like loving nature is caring about life itself, uh, whether it's two legged or four legged or six or eight. I think that kind of love requires empathy. And I have some, and I I don't know if we want to go down this path yet, but I do have some um, really lovely ways for parents to help grow empathy in their children, especially when it comes to nature, because there are children um, and even adults who will you know, see, say, a spider web. It's not in the house. And I'm talking outside of the house. I have ways to show empathy inside the house too, because <laughs> we do, and I actually I'll touch on that really quickly. But because that question does always come up, because people say, "Well, what about in the house? You know, what if a spider comes in, and what if all of this?" I get mm. it. So here's the solution, and I mean this sincerely, because this is what I do. You get a bug viewer. Yes, a bug viewer is the answer to inside insects. Now, um, get a very large one. If you feel like you need an extra large one and don't want to be close, that's the tip. Yeah. Just to be clear, you might need a large one, but, but get a bug viewer because the thing is, is that you don't have to crush something just because it's inside. I think what you have to remember or what, excuse me, what some parents need to remember is that what you are showing your children when you go outside and you say, oh, look, the spire is wonderful. It's living out there. And then it comes in and like, ah, it needs to die. It's it's a, right. And Mm -hmm. I understand that you don't want it in the house. Completely understand that. And 
spite you might have a genuine fear of spiders and i am not belittling that in in any way but have someone even if it's the child maybe they're not as afraid of them you know as you might be have them catch them in the bug viewer because what you're doing is you are showing that you care enough to release them back into the wild. But before you do, you're giving your child a chance to observe it. Mm. You don't have to keep it, but look in the bug viewer, find out what it is, look it up, research it, find out what actually wandered into your home because kids are sponges. Mm. They desire to know. And the more they know, the more powerful that empathy is going to be. And by not seeing something crushed every time it's come that it comes inside, it's showing them like, hey, we still care enough. So let's get it in here. Let's look at it. Give them a chance to draw it if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, observe it. You know, use it as a nature journaling project and then release it back where it belongs. And when a child releases it back into nature, you would be amazed. What a strong, strong connector was just made just then. Mm. And so when it comes to the indoor things, that is my biggest advice. Get a bug viewer, a large one if you need to. It Because then you're turning a pest that wandered into your home literally into an educational experience. Yeah, I love that. You know, we need to take learning away from textbooks we know children learn better without them they learn from seeing touching looking you know having it in that bug viewer and the reminder that we're no better or no less than a spider as well they're just as important they have probably a more important part play in the ecosystem because they're doing good things what we're doing is fairly arguable (laughs) right right reminder I love that. Yeah. Well, and for parents too, because I think a lot of it is how can we learn to overcome fears that we have? Mm. Because for a lot of moms, not all, but for a lot, bugs might be it. Mm. And again, I'm not belittling that fear because we each, everyone has something that's very genuine uh, and sometimes very deep set uh, Mm. within them. But again, you don't necessarily have to be the one, but perhaps by providing that bug viewer, having a child or someone else, you know, go ahead and get it. And just being a part of the observation, if nothing else, you're you're allowing yourself to stretch just a little Mm. bit in those fears, just a little bit, just learn something about it. Because again, when we connect with something, we choose to understand a little better. We want to know a little bit more. It it becomes something more than just a pest. You now mm. know what was in there and knowledge has been gained. But um, so that's huge. Yeah. And to not pass those fears on to the children as well. It is cyclical and it's generational as well often. Oh, yes. And that is my, my tip for the inside mm. uh, wanderer. But ultimately, I have three little points that really, really help with the empathy because a lot of kids, and again, and grownups, I'll I'll see people just 
step on ants or, yes. or step all over ant hills. Oh, now, my pet peeves. Yeah, I, I understand too. Sometimes things might make a nest or a something where it's it's very awkward, you know, to mm. get around it. Or you're truly trying to, you know, you don't want a hornet's nest, obviously, right above your front door where you come mm. out every day. I understand, you know, this is yeah. excluding all those things that sometimes you just have to kind of find a way around it. But the three things are name it. Mm. That is huge. Mm. This works for two different um, kinds of kids. The kinds of kids that like nature and want to be in it, but also want to destroy things, mm. uh, crush the ants, poke at spider webs and spider, these kind of, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That isn't, again, that isn't a love of nature truly because they're not showing a level of empathy and caring mm. that's simply enjoying being outside. So you name it. And this also works for the child who might be afraid of insects. Mm. Naming it is the connection. So if you really think about it, all right, why, why, when we get a pet, a dog or a cat, whatever, it is, why do we name it? <laughs> why do we give them names? Never actually thought about it, that. Yeah, I mean, we name them because once they have a name, they become part of the family, you know, right? I mean, they mm. we ha- we're literally forming a connection with a name. Mm. When a mom becomes pregnant and whether, you know, they choose to wait to find out um, the gender and so on and so forth, names are thought of. Mm. Why is it, you know, why do we think of a name? Why is a name? Why is it when a name is already given or you start to name your baby or call it something? It's because you desire some sort of connection. Mm. Um, Even if you're not finding out what it is, you, you know, and you're calling the baby junior or McGee or something, you know, whatever it is, you are, you're searching for a connection. Mm. Uh, There's a reason that farmers uh, don't name, you know, all of their chickens or their pigs or their, you know, the things that will be a meal perhaps one day. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they don't want the connection. And so there is a huge amount of connection just in a name. And so I Mm. often encourage kids, if you come across a spider, especially the things that you're afraid of, maybe it's a spider, maybe it's a bee, whatever it is, name it. All right. So for example, let's say we found a spider in the woods and it's, it's very, very large. Perhaps the spider's name is Stella. Okay. Stella, where has Stella been today? The second Mm. part of this is to give Stella a story. (laughs) because we have already given her a name. So there's some sort of connection. She isn't just the big spider in the woods now. She's Stella. Everybody knows Stella. We've (laughs) got to see what Stella is. What kind of spider is Stella? You know, there's there's now a spark. You know, Mm. we need to know. But when you then prompt the imagination, which imagination is amazing. I think it should always be prompted. Mm. You can allow your child to use their imagination to figure out where Stella's been, who her friends are who might be coming to visit later, or what her plans are tonight. There's a whole array of things. Um, Mm. You know, perhaps she has recently been to the grocery store. I mean, it could be as (laughs) nonsensical or as, you know, as you want to make it. But when you also give something a story, you're giving it an imaginary life. 
you are forming now something around it. The very same as a child might do with a doll, with a figurine, whether Mm -hmm. it's an animal figurine or otherwise, they create a story and a life around those things and name them often. So do the same thing with insects and create the story and you begin to form this huge amount of empathy. And the last part of that is to shelter them. Mm -hmm. So once you have named them, given them stories, then find ways of giving shelter. And that can just be, you know, the making of a simple bug teepee here and there Mm -hmm. to give them the option of shade from the sun or a little lean-to for forest animals and um, whatever. But songs can help in this process too. A song that I have called I'm a Bug is just kind of a fun reminder that the bugs aren't out to get you and (laughs) they wish to not be destroyed, basically. You know, I mean, Mm. songs can help soften the soul. And so I try to do that in my music, but those are my three Those are my three tips for helping to grow empathy in a child when it comes to nature. And Mm. it really, really does work when you do that. You'll be so surprised how quickly a child falls into, yes, the name and what's their storyline and who Mm. are their friends? Where have they been? And let's make shelter for them. And then you have genuinely started to form empathy. They are growing empathy already because they now have a reason to care about what happens to Stella and the idea of poking Stella or knocking her down with a stick is more off-putting than when she was just the spider in the woods. Absolutely. And that peer, not don't want to say pressure, because what it is, but it's a positive peer pressure then too, because everybody, everybody's trying to protect Stella. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's so such good advice. Such great tips. I want to ask you about your book next, if yes. that's okay. You've written another book recently called Where is Wild? Yes. Tell us about it. Tell us about your inspiration behind it. And yeah, let's start with that. I've got more questions, but that's enough to start. <laughs> sure. Uh, so Where is Wild is my fifth children's book. And I wanted to the inspiration, there were two things that inspired me mostly for this. I wanted this to be for very early readers. I feel like early readers are typically my inspiration, I guess. <laughs> Most things I'm doing are for for the, the much younger crowd. But I, I love things that offer um, not sight words necessarily, but it's it's that laying words out like a feast, you know, like, oh, what's that? And what's, it's a gentle rhyming journey that's just kind of goes through um, an aesthetic little wondrous uh, journey. And it's an encouragement of all the places you can find wild, Mm. wild being Anything wild might be on a swing, wild to someone might be sitting on a rock, wild might be in a hike. But ultimately, the moral of it is that wild is wherever you are and wherever you choose to be, because not everyone can be in nature at all times. And 
So you bring that with you almost. And now while in the book, you know, there isn't a child going into the office or to work or these kind of things. <laughs> it's the encouragement that you can find wild anywhere and um, just in a very simple rhyme. And throughout the entire book, there is a little flag that you can see on each page and it has the word wild on it. It's this little wild flag. And there are a couple of really fun ways that children and their grownups can get involved in this and truly begin to go out and find their own version of wild. If they go to my website, which is wildpicklepress.com, and that's a quirky little name, but wildpicklepress.com. It's memorable. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there is, uh, There are some free things that you could do. First, there's a free tutorial and a free printout of the wild flag. So there's either a tutorial on how to make an actual fabric kind of flag, if you want to do that yourself, or for those who just need a quick, we want a tiny little flag to just take with us anywhere, throw it in a bag. You can just go ahead and print one out. It's very easy. So the whole point of this, there is, um, it's called the Where's Wild Challenge. It's completely free and it's it's entirely up to you how you want to do it with your family. Uh, there is a hashtag. I mean, if you want to do it on social media, you can do it that way and hashtag Where's Wild Challenge. But hey, have your flag, have one always maybe in the car or in a bag. And the next time you're out in the yard or you go to the park or to the mountains or the woods, wherever it is. Again, the whole point is to, as a family, find wild. Where is your wild? Where is it for your child? Well, maybe it's, maybe they found an amazing tree. Okay. Then you take the wild flag. And again, this is up to you. It depends on whether you want your child on social media or not. Um, You could either just place the flag by that tree and just take a picture of it or with your child, and you could keep it just for your own scrapbook or whatever, or you can hashtag where's wild challenge and kind of go along with this little journey. Again, the point is to get outside as a family, mm. search for places that your children deem as wild and places that you think are wild. And it's actually, it's such a fun group thing. You can do this with an entire group as well, a huge nature group of kids. It's really fun with if you if they all have flags because you're truly going here and there and everywhere. Where is wild to me? And um, the point of having the picture taken or maybe the child can take the picture of it and work on their photography skills. But again, the point is to get outside and just look for beautiful, uh, peaceful or wild places. And the other part of it is just a printout of um, little characters and things kind of from the book. And children can cut them out, add to it, and just create their own wild scene. Mm -hmm. That's just a bit of art. I told you art has always been with me. So uh, it's as easy as just printing out the page and then the kids can do whatever they like with it and just kind of create a wild scene kind of from the book, but their own version of it. So. I love that you've got so many different prompts there. And again, like ultimately it's to get children outside. But again, you've got yes. that literacy, but not just literacy, ecological literacy. And then you've got the creativity in there as well. And you've got the connection with the wider world, whether that's, like you said, maybe sharing that with gran and grandpa or whether that's actually getting online and doing the tag. I just, I love that holistic approach to getting children outside. That's so special. 
Oh, I I love it so much. And I feel like most of the things are so simple uh, to Mm. do when you're going outside. But I, there are parents that I I call, I call nature reluctant parents. And again, in in the most positive way possible, but nature reluctant in the sense that um, it isn't in everyone to, that's, that's not their place you know, where they feel the most comfortable, where they feel the most free. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that about people. And that might be with kids too, you know, where they kind of get out. And I'm not talking about just playing sports outside or something. I'm talking about actual river, creek, woods, you know, we're in the middle of maybe nowhere. What do we do? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, the reality of it is that you don't have to do anything kind of it's, it's there for you. You learned it. Like you said, the forest bathe earlier. I mean, you learn to just to observe, um, to take in, you know, Mm -hmm. to explore. That's what you begin to get out of nature instead of expecting there to be activities. You just, you just are. Um, but yes, that's hard for a lot of parents and they're not really sure what to do with their kids out in nature. <laughs> and um, and there is, I do actually have a free guide on my website as well. Most of the things, I mean, my paperbacks online and everything, of course, you know, you have to pay for those. I can't mm-hmm. do much about that, but I do have a lot of things that <laughs> are free honest. on my website. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do have a lot of things that are free on my website because I just want them accessed. And mm-hmm. I really do just want to try to help parents find ways of, of creating that connection, you know, that we talked about. So there's a free guide. You can click on nature with Sarah and it's just a free seven page guide on things that you can do and resources with every age, even teenagers, you know, if you're just getting into it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's never too late. I think it's never too late to take yes. the step into nature with your child and figure mm-hmm. it out together. And I think that is the other part that sometimes is missing with the parents is that to take their kids out in nature, they kind of think, okay, well, they'll just run around now. They know what to do. But it isn't always about that. Children seek connection with their parents as much as they seek connection with nature. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing it alongside your children, sometimes being, I mean, almost like a catalyst between your child and nature, uh, being that one to mm-hmm. let's actually get down on the ground and see what little bits of life we might see between the blades of grass, or let's do this together, or you see something, I'm willing to learn. I'm not just on my phone over here being distracted. Mm-hmm. Learn alongside with them. It's never too late to create a new culture of that, a culture of um just nature, <laughs> just being outside and together. And before I forget, I, I wanted to just mention real quick with the Where is Wild, you had we had talked about kind of the early readers for early readers and such. And something that I, it's a very descriptive book, even though it's very simple and kind of short, but I love teaching through things. I love to teach something through my books, or I love to teach through my songs. And in this book, I really wanted to teach even extra, extra littles, what descriptive words are and how to use them. Now, in the book, Mm -hmm. I'll say descriptive words. You're welcome to, you know, go over adverbs and adjectives with your child and, you know, distinguish that. That's not what the book is about so much. But 
there is actually a spread in the back of the book that helps you. It guide it actually guides you through a questioning and everything that's really fun with your child so that they understand what a descriptive word is. And again, these are for extra littles, but what is a descriptive word and how to begin using them on your own. And, you know, just a quick example mm-hmm. would be, you could take anything, uh, You even the book, if they have it in their hands. And the book is, the majority of it is blue. And you might ask a child, a small child, even two years old, they'll soak this in and you could say, what color is this book? And they will probably say blue. And you can then ask, what else can you think of that's blue? And whatever they're, maybe they'll say the sky or the ocean or something, but let's say the sky. Then you say, okay, then you could say that this book is blue like the sky or is sky blue. Mm. And what it does, I know that sounds simple, but what it begins is an understanding of connecting a word to other things of that description. And when put together, it sounds so much better and you have formed more of a picture and an idea of it rather than just, this is blue. Mm. It's blue like the ocean. It's blue like the sky. And um, and you would be surprised when you do that, how quickly a child will latch onto it and then begin making comparisons and you know, similes and using adjectives and adverbs, possibly not even knowing all of those terms and knowing what they're doing, but they are <laughs> using them and being more descriptive. Mm. And that really works in nature too. What is What else is black like this beetle? You know, well, charcoal, you know, mm-hmm. so this beetle is charcoal black. It just, it just begins the, the conversation of it. Mm. And how empowering for them as well to have that language, to be able to describe the world around them, you know, their place around them to such depth. I think that's a really beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it gives them extra tools, you know, instead mm. of language can be very basic, but it doesn't take much to add to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the topping of a cake. I mean, you can have just a plain cake and it will still taste good if the cake is really good. But when you add things to it, you're adding layers of possibilities and the creativity of it, you know, and a layer of flavors. And that's kind of what you can do with words. You know, the more you add on, the more flavorful the sentence almost becomes. So oh, I love that. You just got. Tasty for cake. <laughs> and now I a want beautiful cake layered too. cake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got one more question for you before we get into our rapid fires, if that's okay. Sure. So we run nature play groups as well, and we often have people approach us to run play groups, which is exciting. The one thing they're always fearful of is singing in front of parents. Ah. Do you have any advice? for people that are hesitant or self-conscious about singing in front of parents and also any advice about starting your own nature group? Sure. Um, Okay. So to the first question with the, just the insecurity of singing in front of people, I think, and this is a hard one because my answer isn't going to be just easy across the board for everyone. Um, I think that there is a level of not caring what people 
think (laughs) that you have to have. And that is very difficult for most people because we are most self-critical of ourselves. Um, But Mm. the fact is, is that where we see flaws, almost always other people see beauty. And I think you have to go into something like that just having fun and you you have to mm. truly get your you know your head out of that that box of they might not like it i'm not the best singer i'm not this i'm not that and just enjoy the moment and what you're doing and why mm. you're doing it i personally <laughs> i personally would never claim to be the best singer in the world, the best ukulele player, any of those things. And that's not me trying to be super modest. I'm just saying I would never claim those things because I'm simply not. Um, I mean, I taught myself the ukulele not too awfully long ago. My songs are just songs that come from my heart and things that I want to share with others. But I think that's why I'm okay singing them and doing them because Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying it and I want to share that message. And it's okay if people don't think that I'm the best because I'm, I'm, I never started this to be the best. I'm not trying to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, I, it's almost like starting your own book or doing whatever you're doing. I think when you're just doing it for yourself there's a genuine desire to bring value to someone, hopefully through what you're doing. That's mm-hmm. what matters most. So I think if you just, and I know I'm, I'm giving you the longest explanations to things and I'm sorry, but I do feel if yeah. people just tell themselves what I'm about to do, I'm doing it for fun. I'm doing it to bring something of value. They're children. The kids aren't sitting there like, okay, with their scorecards, you know, like, all right, that, that was a solid one out of 10. I can't believe she did that. You know, I mean, that's just not how we're not coming back, mother. Right. (laughs) Cross next week off our list. I mean, I know this isn't a music group, but heaven forbid. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Nature play group has just not met my musical expectations. We're we're so hard on ourselves as humans, but yes, if you can shake, I mean, you have to shake it off and you have to Mm. uh, just bring out your inner child. I'm comfortable Mm. being goofy or just if I make a silly face doing something, it's okay for me. Because again, I'm still part child somewhere in there and everything that I have done ever career-wise is with children. I've been a professional children's photographer for over 20 years. That's my that is actually what I do. This was before books or anything else. And so I have worked with children most of my life. And um, I'm just very comfortable being silly if I need to and just kind of being one of them. Mm-hmm. And I remind myself of that. I'm like, I'm not here to perform for the parents. I'm not here. This isn't a pageant no, or something. I'm just, these are the kids <laughs> and I'm connecting with them and mm-hmm. I want them to hear this and learn from this. And that is mm-hmm. what will pull you through. Just remember it's the kids. Absolutely. No one's, no one's I judging think- you. Well, if, and if they are, then you know that 
that's not eternal. That's, them that's not as eternal. Well. You no. you bring value and you you do it. So. Yeah. I remember the first time. Well I, well, I don't know if it was the first time. I remember feeling that not anxiety, but that oh God, I have to sing in front of these people. And I think humor goes a long way. And I think a little bit of self-depreciation as well. And I was just really honest. I said, I sound like Marge Simpson on a hangover, <laughs> but it's not about me. <laughs> and it's just that bringing down their expectations a little bit about what what we're listening to and I said any help would be appreciated to muffle the sound so you know the more of us the merrier think of this as just you know we're at the pub we've had a couple of drinks and we're all just singing (laughs) I'm sure it wasn't like I think that it's a it's a lesson in self-appreciation too you don't confidence and arrogance are two completely different things and I I think that some people think, well, if I act like I'm pretty good, then I'm a narcissist, you know, or whatever. It's like, it, it's not, yeah. it's not about that. You don't, you don't have to be cocky mm. about something to simply be confident in something you love doing. Um, you know, I told you that even when I was doing the group, that was not, I mean, seriously, yeah, the thought of performing my songs in front of any, I mean, even when I first started seeing them for those moms and the kid, I had never done that before outside of like mm. my church or something as a kid, I'd never sung just solo for people. Mm. Not my thing. I told you my career has been behind a camera. And so that was just, <laughs> uh, it was really something I had to get past. But again, the kids really helped me with that. And I, that's what I kept reminding myself. This is for the ki- I'm trying to teach the kids what to do if we come across a bear. And this is really important. And, you know, I'm not out to be the best. And that's the only thing that probably even pushed me to do it out loud in front of them. And (laughs) um, yeah, I can remember the very first performance I did in front of anyone outside of that group. I mean, nervous is an understatement, really. I mean, because Mm. the, the folks in town as I say, I've been a photographer a really long time around here. So folks know me as a photographer. For mm. me to randomly pull out a ukulele and all of a sudden, hey, everybody, I sing songs. It was just <laughs> like, what in the world? I mean, I blindsided everyone, including mm-hmm. myself. And so it was very hard in that sense to say, okay, I'm putting myself out here. But I did it. Mm. And, and it's okay. And I still feel the same way probably today as I did then in the sense that I mean, I'm more confident. It doesn't bother me now to perform in front of people. I've I've gotten past that, but it's the same feeling of this is for children. This is for parents because mm. I want them to hopefully glean something from these words. And it's it's the only reason mm. I'm doing it. You know what what can I offer that could be of value to a family? And so that's it. Just mm. bottom line. And if someone finds something they love in it, then it's very rewarding. And if they listen and they're like, I will never listen to that again, that's okay. And I appreciate them giving it a try. (laughs) That's right. Singing should be joyous anyway. It's not about being the best. It's about bringing joy. Oh, absolutely. It could be like that in any part of our life. I mean, book, you could compare a children's book to a million others. I mean, anything you do, if you Mm. compare it to others. There is, I don't think there is such a thing as best, just like there's no such thing as perfect. 
everyone, John Lennon said, and I love this quote, but John Lennon said that every child is an artist until Mm -hmm. they're told they're not. And I think that's true of every child and adult. It doesn't matter. There is no, someone will say, oh, well, and here's my version of that picture. And it's a self-deprecational most of like, this isn't like yours or this isn't like that. That is what's so beautiful about each of us as an artist. We, we're we meant yeah. to do things differently, just like we're meant to look differently. And when we can, when we as humans can look beyond what we, just the whole comparison game of, well, it isn't that though, mm. but who said that over there is perfect or the best ever? You know, I mean, you look at Van Gogh or Picasso. I mean, at the time, my goodness, Van Gogh, you know, he was he was a starving artist, you know, who almost couldn't Mm -hmm. stand most of his work and thought he was a failure. And here people are and they're like, look at that now. And it's wonderful. And again, where we see flaw, other people tend to see beauty. And when we can. Yeah, we just need to give ourselves that chance and realize we are each artists in some way, shape, or form, mm. and we all have something to say, and we all have something to to draw or give to this world that's very beautiful, and we all have talents, and they and they come in different sizes and and abilities, mm. and but that's that's the beauty mm. of the of that individualism of that. I love that. That's such a beautiful reminder. I love that that whole quote, comparison is the thief of joy. It is. So let's just yes. be ourselves and run our race and do our thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and you mentioned the nature group. I mean, as far as starring a nature group, I think the easiest way to do that is if you have a friend or maybe a couple of friends that um, I think it's especially easy when you have your own child and a friend or two that has kids around the same age, almost like you would form a play date, basically. So if you think about mm-hmm. it as a play date, but just go into nature, you're already forming a nature group. I mean, there is you don't have yeah. to have a curriculum. You don't have to have an agenda. J- just have a play date in nature and it will start forming. I think that's the easiest way to look at it and the most basic way to begin a nature group is you know using people around you who tend to at least be more like mind and like yeah we're going to do nature together and do that with them and then mm-hmm. they might tell someone else and then you grow it and and that's how it can form um you know it doesn't have to be a school you guys have you know the four school but you can easily just form a group where you are doing life in nature with other mamas and your kids with other kids and just exploring together and enjoying that connection. Yeah. Good reminder not to overcomplicate no. things. I think when people are like, I'm going to need booking systems and I'm going to need this. And no. Start small, start simple. Oh. Just be consistent. Yes, start small. And yeah. also when you start with a friend or just a friend or two, there's no um, there's no pressure because when you're just mm. doing a play group, especially when it's with people that you know and love already, you get it. You probably already know each other's schedules where someone could say, oh, well, this child needs to nap for a little while. Can we do it this time? Or should we bring lunch? Mm. Don't overthink it. Don't. Uh, there's no need to put pressure on yourself, truly. 
it, it's really mm-hmm. just allowing that connection to happen in nature with a small group and allow it to grow if you want it to. And if you don't want to ever have a mm-hmm. large nature group, guess what? You don't have to. I mean, <laughs> you know, you don't have, you know, you don't have to be like, no, I mean, we're, we're an elite group, you know, going into nature. You're not allowed. <laughs> but you can keep it small. And if someone wants in, you can always just say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe we can meet with you on a certain day uh, or whatever, or we have a full group right now, but, you know, can we let you know if we're expanding? Yes. Mm. Okay. It's nature. It's simple. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's a good reminder. All right. Are you ready for our rapid fire questions, Sarah? I think so. I'm nervous. All of a sudden, for the first time, I'm nervous. <laughs> no, no, I'm ready. Let's do this. Push up my sleeves. Okay. Ready, ready. All right. What is your favorite book of all time and why? Or what are you currently reading? So I will say what I just finished reading um, because there is no way mm-hmm. I can pick a favorite book of all time. And yeah. I'm not currently reading something. But I did recently finish reading um, Linda McGurk. She wrote. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather. Okay. A lot of people. So, okay. So Linda also wrote uh, a recent one and it's open air life. And that is her second Mm. book. And so I had read the first one and it was good. And Mm -hmm. Linda sent me this one and it was phenomenal. And I can truly truly say it was such a good read. This last one, The Open Air Life, was the advice felt so obtainable. I mean, no, I'm not living in Norway. It made me want to live in Norway when I was done reading it. I am not going to lie, but it felt obtainable. Um, Not everything in there will you be able to do, but it felt Again, for the third time, I'm saying obtainable. And I feel like that's the, that is the best, <laughs> but that's the best way I can describe it because you know, you read things sometimes it's and it's, it's so amazing. And the advice is so good and so rich, but you're not completely sure how to incorporate it in your own life. Yeah. And this felt right. I felt like I was reading something that not only inspired me, encouraged me laid things out in a way that I thought, oh yeah, I could kind of follow this or I can definitely modify this, but it was just a good read. Mm. Highly recommend that one. Mm. Genuinely. Yes. We had Linda on probably two years ago now with, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather. So I'll have to get the book and get her on again because she was great. Please do. just a wealth of knowledge. Please do. That second book, again, the first one and people may have different. Personally, this one was my absolute favorite. I liked the first one. Mm. I utterly loved this one. And it was one of those that I just kept reading and kept picking up because I wanted to. And that's when you know it's a good book is when it's actually hard to put down. And I found that one difficult to put down. And I came across all Mm, kinds of things that I, some things I hadn't heard about, that were very inspiring and some things, you know, that I knew, but thought, oh, that's a different take on it. And I love that. I'm going to use that. So yes, that book. Mm. <laughs> Great. All right. On the okay, list. Good. <laughs> Next one. 
where do you go or what do you do to reset after a tough day? And if it's somewhere local, if you don't mind outing it and labeling it, but if it's a hidden spot, that's... Oh, no. uh, Yeah. I mean, there's no secret spot. Um, I am very blessed to have woods actually surrounding our property uh, where I live. And Mm. so I can walk through a gate, this door that almost seems like you're going into somewhere magical that my husband built and just go into the woods. And I'm uh, genuinely, the woods are one of the most therapeutic places for me. I love the ocean as well, but that's about five and a half hours away. So, (laughs) I mean, the woods truly are my therapy. And there's this huge tree uh, in our woods that fell down a number of years ago, but it's, it's, it's huge and it's partially moss covered and this and that, and it just lays there across this mm-hmm. area, but it is my favorite fallen tree. And I will go and I'll have tea on that tree sometimes, or just sit. And it's just such a, it's such a serene place. So yes, the woods, mm-hmm. the woods right outside my door, basically. <laughs> Amazing. All right. If you had to choose just one thing to change about the education system, knowing this is a loaded question, what would it be? (laughs) Oh, boy. It's not loaded. It's just hard. I think think the things that I would change just it simply isn't feasible. And what isn't Mm. feasible in the regular education system is for things to be tailored to each child. That's simply not Mm. feasible because there's obviously no way that a teacher of a class of anywhere from 20 to 30 kids, you can tailor the education to how that child learns. Mm. Obviously, I would love to see nature more. Yes, I think that nature is lacking. I know that there's recess, there are playgrounds. And again, I realize that the schools are working within kind of a certain box that in a way, Mm -hmm. many of them almost have to, you know, depending on the location. And there are also inner city, inner city schools and there aren't woods, you know, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I I do wish there were more nature. That is what I would change. But I think that there are ways to incorporate possibly more nature for each school it would just have to be deeply modified. I mean, for every school, because there there would not mm. be a one size fits all. There's no way. I think you just summed it up, though, isn't it? Yeah, just just more nature. But I I wish that were more feasible um, for for kids mm. because some of them are are lacking that completely in their lives. So I wish that mm. for those where school is their safe haven from home or otherwise, or the place the only place where they get. Um, you know, affirmation Mm. of any kind. I wish that they could also get more nature. I I don't know how that would work, but I think that's missing. (laughs) I think you summed it up in in saying that there's not a one size fits all. Maybe it's as simple as letting them have more free range over what they choose to bring in and how they do it. Because it does need to be place-based, I think, and and child-based. But then, like you said, Yes, yes. So, yes. (laughs) Hard. That's a hard one. (laughs) All right. It is. And last of all, where can we find out all about your work? Uh, So, wildpicklepress.com is my website. 
And uh, that has just about everything on it. You can find links to the books. You can find my albums, my singles, uh, freebies, all kinds of different things. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, both at Wild Pickle Press. And as far as my books go, they are on Amazon, which also Amazon Australia, Um, (laughs) just to be clear, but you can find them there. And uh, there are five books. And then you can also find the albums on any music platform. So when you do look for the music, though, you would just look under Sarah Ernst uh, because Wild Pickle Press is Mm -hmm. my company. But, you know, as an artist, Sarah Ernst would be what you search. So, um, again, so there are four albums and seven singles out. There's a bedtime album. um, Oh, Christmas slash winter album, uh, an album that's mostly imaginative in nature, and then an album, my second one, Hello Song, Hello Rhyme, which is actually half original poetry and half song, because I am also a huge, huge fan of putting poetry into kids' lives, because I, I really think it enhances their vocabulary and understanding of rhythm. Yeah, so all of that. Wild Pickle Amazing. Press, pretty much everything, or Sarah Ernst. <laughs> you can look at one of those and something will come up. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for coming onto the show oh, today. We appreciate your time so much being across the other side Thank of the world. Thank you. And Sarah is going to treat us with a song to say goodbye. So what a treat. Thank you. We're so grateful and can't wait to have a listen. Thank you. All right. So let me ask you a question, friends. Do you think a stick is just a stick? Well, let me tell you something. With a stick, I can play fetch with my dog. Get it, boy. Good boy. It's slobbery. It's a drumstick. Beat it loud. Hunt some rocks or logs. Oh, wow. It's a pole so I can fish. It's a wand to make a wish. And never say a stick is just a stick. Toast marshmallows on a what? Stick. Over a fire built with what? Sticks. Build a raft so I can float. Build a bridge of a remote. And never say a stick is just a stick. Well, it's a shovel for digging in the ground. It's an instrument. Oh, listen to that sound. It's a ruler I can measure now. Be kind and don't you ever. Never say a stick is just a stick. It's not a stick, okay? That's my horse. Whoa, girl, she's fast, of course. It's a broomstick, and I'm flying through the sky. It's a flag on my ship, I'm waving high. It's a microphone, here I go. All of nature hears me sing so. Never say a stick is just a stick. Never say a stick is just a stick. Because a stick is never just a stick. Uh, I love it. it. Isn't. Just, it isn't. It isn't, says my boys outside playing with sticks with a barrel full of sticks that I can't throw out. It's so, true. You can do anything you. with sticks. So <laughs> I needed a song <laughs> dedicated to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for your time and for your joy and enthusiasm and for connecting children and parents to nature we appreciate it thank you so much for having me on it's really such a joy thank you oh 
delight ending an episode on a song and what a dream job and what a treat having Sarah sing for us today. I really love the breadth of guests that we have on this podcast that we get to speak to and how in each guest that we chat to, they all find at least part of their inspiration or part of their purpose in nature. It's uh a really good and level playing field and remembering and remembering that we are all more similar than we are different and that if we could just love each other for that that would be really nice I know I'm an idealist but we can only hope and if you'd like a little inspiration to get your family outside today, head on over to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables to get our free nature scavenger hunt printable. And while you're stalking us, why not make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you're feeling extra generous today, we'd really love for you to leave us a review on your podcast player or take a screenshot and recommend this episode to any friends you know running their own wild business who may be really excited excited to get some new nature songs in their repertoire. I know we were when we first discovered Sarah. It's so hard finding seasonal songs uh, and it's really nice to get some new ones so that you're not singing the same ones every year. So thank you again for all your support and until next week, stay wild.